All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on Paul's letter to the Colossians. In this session, we're going to be continuing our study through Colossians chapter 1, picking up at chapter 1, verse 9, where Paul begins to describe how he's praying for the Colossians. And in reality, chapter 1, verse 9, all the way down to verse 23, is one unit. Uh, one big chunk that all should go together, but there's so much in there. We're going to split it into two for the purposes of just ease of recording, ease of you listening, and us thinking it through, and really for just the simple teaching because there's just so much material for us to think through. So chapter 1, verses 9 through 23, describes Paul's prayer report, but he breaks off in the middle of that at verse 15 because of something he said and gives this extended long, beautiful praise and tribute to Jesus. And so we're going to take 15 through 23 as a separate section. That'll be our next session. And in this particular session, we're just going to focus on the first half of Paul's prayer report, verses 9 through 14. And what we see here is that Paul uh, describes how he's been praying for the Colossians, and it grows out of his thanksgiving for them. He's been thanking God for their faith in Christ. He's been thanking God for the love they have for all of God's people, for the reception of the gospel in truth, and how the gospel has been fruitful among them. Well, that leads him out of that thanksgiving then to describe how he's been praying for them, which really comes down to a prayer for continued faithfulness in Jesus and continued growth in God and in Christ. And that leads him then into this tribute to Jesus. And so let's jump in and talk about some of the details here as we work down through this. Paul uh, writes this in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, for this reason also. Notice that. It's a simple transition phrase, but it's really important to recognize that um, the prayer that he's going to describe in Paul's heart and in Paul's mind is based on and built out of what he's been thinking God for. So he's been thanking God for their positive response to the gospel and how the gospel has done its work in them and how the gospel told them the truth. Well, based on that, for this reason, because of what God has already done in you and because of how I've already seen his work manifest in you, because of all of that, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So Paul says, since the day he heard of their faith in Jesus, since the day he heard how God has brought them to himself and they responded to the gospel, he says, we haven't ceased to pray for you. So he's been praying again, as he noted in verse 6 above, praying for them regularly, continually, just whenever they come to mind, he's constantly praying for them and thanking God for them. And the first thing he's asking God to do there in verse 9 is, we're asking that you may be filled with all of the knowledge of his will. And so he's praying that God would help them understand the knowledge of God's will. And just to put the, that phrase, his will, into kind of total context of Paul's writings, it's important that we don't reduce the knowledge of God's will to, um, as is often the case, to like the specifics of our life. Like, I don't know if I should date this person. I don't know if I should marry this person. I don't know if I should accept this job. God has some opinions about some of that sort of stuff, and his will does include those things, but his will is bigger and greater than those things in the sense that when Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, he's saying, I want you to understand everything that God is up 
to in this world. I want you to understand what God's great plan is for the world and for his people and for you and how you fit into that great plan and, and what God is doing as he's moving that plan forward and what that all means in Jesus. And so the knowledge of his will is this big, comprehensive uh, understanding of God's plan and God's purposes and God's goal for for the work he's done in and through Jesus. And then our specific life, how it fits into that. And so he's praying and asking that God would fill them up with a knowledge of God's will. Specifically, he says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And those two words, wisdom and understanding, really describe this ability to understand what God is doing so that you can make wise and good choices in life. So that you can think through um, God's purposes and God's plans and, and God's goals for humanity and for life and for the world. And then in the context of your specific life, now being filled with God, a knowledge of God's will, you have the ability to think things through wisely and clearly with insight and understanding and make good decisions, make good plans, make good choices. That's really the force of wisdom and understanding. So he's praying that they would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of God's will. And when we say spiritual, what we mean is not merely human, not merely according to human common sense or human wisdom or human ideas, but uh, the wisdom and understanding that comes from God through the Spirit, that comes from God's very own Spirit at work in and among us as he helps us learn how to think things through, as he renews our minds and deepens our understanding so that we can actually live wisely and live with insight and make good decisions based on what we know about God and his purposes in the world. So Paul is praying for them that they would be filled up with all the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. And he, he has a specific result in mind, a specific goal in mind. He wants them to have this knowledge and this wisdom, this understanding, verse 10, so that... That word so, that's going to indicate kind of purpose or result. Here's what why I want you to have this. It's not just because I want you to be smart. I don't want you just to be able to impress people with your Bible knowledge and your Bible trivia, right? It's not just that. Here's the goal or the purpose of this. So that, verse 10, you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so the whole point of being filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you could live a god pleasing life so that you can walk. The imagery of walk is to go about your life. That was how they got places in the ancient world. You walk from one place to the other. So it became the picture of going about your life so that you could go about your life in a manner worthy of the Lord. Um, meaning that it it's, you know, the, the Lord, Jesus, this great king, this person who laid down his life for you, that your life would somehow display his magnitude and his greatness. It would honor us, put his name up in lights, right? Like you wouldn't drag the name of Jesus through the mud uh, and dishonor him, but your your lifestyle, your whole manner of life would be worthy of Jesus. It would be worthy of his great name and his, his majesty to please him, he goes on in verse 10. So walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, in every way, so that you can please Jesus in every way. And again, that's not a pipe dream for Paul. Paul knows we're not going to be perfect this side of glory, right? That's not the point. The point is, by virtue of the this, God's work in us through his spirit, um, what Paul is asking is that we would be a people who really do please God in every sort of way. And so that's what he's praying for, is that 
by the power of, of God's work in us through his spirit, we would please God in every way. And then he describes that, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Um, so that you would please God in, in all respects, in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, that your life would be fruitful, productive, right? Um, bearing fruit in every good work. And so as you live your life, you go about your life, you recognize that the things you do can can bear fruit for God and can please him. And so now he's, he's wanting your life to bear fruit in every good work. And notice, increasing in the knowledge of God. Think about where this started. It started with him asking that you'd be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you could live a God-pleasing life. And one of the results of that is that you'll actually increase in the knowledge of God. And notice that, that this kind of circular or almost spiral effect of that where it's like um, greater knowledge of his will so that you can live more the way he wants you to live. And as you live more the way he wants you to live, you actually increase in a greater understanding of God himself. And that's the way it works in spiritual living, spiritual growth, that the more we live for God, the more we understand God, and the more we get to know God, and it just keeps going and growing as we go about our life in faith. And so Paul is asking for that in them, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they would grow in holiness and be able to bear fruit in good works. And then he says that they would be strengthened with power. That's one of the other things he's praying, that they would be strengthened with, with God's power so that they can actually be faithful and endure and remain true to Jesus through all the ups and downs in life. So the way he words it in verse 11 is this. He says, strengthened with all power. Notice that all. These words all are going to be really important when he gets down to Jesus, but he's wanting us to be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, according to God's very own uh, might that shows up in his glory and his greatness. And so I want, Paul says, you to be strengthened with, with all power according to God's glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. In other words, steadfastness, standing firm, staying put, remaining faithful, and patience, not being easily annoyed, irritated, rattled, and thrown off course, right? Like, I want you to be strengthened by God's power so that you can stand firm in the faith. And then he, he has one more request. The other thing I'm praying for is that you would, you would learn to give thanks in everything. Joyously, he says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. And so that Part of this spiritual growth is a life of thanksgiving. And thankfulness is actually going to show up um, quite regularly in the letter to Colossians. We will see in certain places where Paul repeats it over and over again that thankfulness is a key expression or a key manifestation of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. That the more we grow in our understanding of God, the more we walk with God and please God, one of the marks of that, one of the, the manifestations of that is going to be just we're more great, grateful. We're more thankful for, for everything God has done for us and for our life in general and for all the spiritual blessings we have. And so he's praying that they would learn to joyously give thanks to the Father. Father being God the Father. And notice how he's described. God the Father is described at the end of verse 12 in this way. Who has qualified us. Who has made us fit is the idea. Notice, he, he's the one who has done it. God is the one who has qualified us. We haven't qualified ourselves. It's not because of our own worthiness. It's not because of our own goodness. God is the one who has made us fit. He's the one who has qualified us and made us fit to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. 
In other words, to share in what God has promised to his people in his brightness, in his light, in his glory, that God has, he has an inheritance awaiting for his people. And Paul is praying for them and by extension for us um, that, that um, he's really saying we should be people who thank God because he's the one who's, who's made us fit to actually receive that inheritance, the inheritance that he's promised his people. Well, then he goes on in verse 13 at this point, and he just begins to describe even more about what God has done. And then that describing about what more God has done culminates in Jesus, which leads, as I mentioned, to this uh, long, beautiful tribute to Jesus in verses 15 and following. So let's just take verses 13 and 14 as he describes what God has done, how he has qualified us, and then we will wrap it up at that point and save the, the second half of this for our next session. So notice, God is the one, the Father is the one who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then verse 13, he describes how he did that. For he rescued us. This is how he qualified us. He rescued us. The idea is he delivered us out from underneath. It's, it's almost the imagery of like the Exodus in the Old Testament where Israel was uh, rescued. They were delivered out from underneath the dominion of uh, Pharaoh and his authority and his power and his oppression, right? They were rescued from that. They were That's what the Exodus did. Well, this is a similar picture, but it's saying there's a greater Exodus. There's a greater deliverance that God has provided. He has delivered us or he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, from the dominion of darkness, from the realm where darkness was in charge and where it ruled and where it oppressed us. He has uh, taken us out of that evil kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and he has transferred us. So he didn't just take us out of there and say, you're on your own now, right? He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And so we have we have really um, had a kingdom transfer. That's what conversion is. That's what becoming a Christian is, is it's, it's changing kingdoms. It's being transferred from one domain to another. And we used to be uh, in the domain of darkness, but we have been transferred now to a different kingdom. That is the kingdom of God's beloved son. And so we are now part of God's kingdom in Christ and Jesus is king and he is He is uh, our authority. And so we put our hope, we uh, put our security, we put our really, you know, everything we're banking on for all the good things to come in life, right? We are in the kingdom of, of Jesus, and it's an unshakable kingdom. And so he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom, verse 14, in Jesus, in his beloved son, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that picture of redemption fits very well with the, the language Paul's been using, because the word redemption, when you hear that, redeem, redemption, anytime you read that in the New Testament, you need to picture the idea of being set free. Redemption always has this imagery of uh, paying a price of some sort to set someone or something free. That's the basic idea. It was used, for example, in the slave trade of Paul's day at the slave market where, you know, you could redeem someone out from their slavery so they could be set free. Uh, it was used to describe what God did in the Exodus for Israel, where he redeemed them from Egypt. That was their great redemption, and God exerted his great power. There was a price that was paid to set Israel free. And so that's always the picture of redemption. And so we have been set free, liberated from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of God's Son, 
through the redemption that, that's in Jesus, in whom we have redemption. It was the redemption that Jesus provided through his own sacrificial death. That was the price. And you see that everywhere in Paul's writings, not the least of which is Romans chapter 3, beginning right around verse 23, where he describes the payment of the price that Jesus did, the redemption we have. So Jesus lays down his life to pay a price to set us free from the dominion of darkness. And that payment of a price, that redemption, is amplified here in verse 14 as the forgiveness of sins, that um, our redemption and entail the forgiveness of sins because it was our sins that were held against us that kept us um, under the dominion of darkness and now we've been set free from that and we've been our sins have been forgiven and we are free to go. So let me just offer a few reflections on Paul's prayer here that I think are really insightful for us because even though it's a prayer report, it really does capture some real powerful and important insights for us with regard to spiritual growth, because that's the heart of what he's praying for these guys, is for them to grow spiritually. The first I sort of already noted, but I would just want to draw attention to it again, and it's that really the, the cycle that Paul prays for, that, that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you could live a God-pleasing life, and the result of that is a greater knowledge of God. That we grow in knowledge of God as we put into practice what we, what we come to understand about God. Catch that? That um, when we come to know the, the word and what God says, if we want to actually know more of God and have more of God in our life, we just begin to live out what we understand God wants us to do. And as we do that, we gain greater insight, greater understanding, which leads to a greater knowledge of God. So then we, we know more of what God wants us to do. We put that into practice. We begin to live that out, which leads to an even greater knowledge of God. That's the way it works. And so your knowledge of God increases as you put into practice the things you already understand about God and God's will and what God wants for you. And so begin to put into practice the things you already learn. And as you do that, you can trust that God will reveal more of himself to you, more of his will to you, and you'll know him more and more. The second thing I just want to draw our attention to uh, out of this whole prayer report is Again, the centrality of the work of God. When Paul prays, he's praying for their spiritual growth. And Paul has great confidence that God's going to do these things. And it teaches us a lot about how to pray and what to pray for and how spiritual formation, spiritual growth uh, in ourselves, in our kids, in our friends, in our extended family. It's the work of God. And so um, we pray for God to work. And that God would reveal himself. And we can, we can take uh, really solace in the fact that Paul, modeling that for us, has this kind of confidence that God is the one who will do this. And he's confident God will. And so let's model our praying after Paul's praying. And let's pray for the people in our lives, our loved ones, the people we care about who are in Christ. Let's pray for them the way Paul has prayed for the Colossians with that same sort of confidence, inviting God to cause them to grow and to stir up their heart and to lead them into wisdom and knowledge and understanding, to help them be able to please him and remain faithful to him and pray that God would do that. Just trusting the Spirit's work in their life. Obviously, they have a responsibility to play in that by faith, but God can stir that up, and God can fan into flames their walk with Him. And so let's model our praying for people after Paul's praying for people, so that together we would be praying for all of us 
to grow in the knowledge and the understanding of God like Paul prayed for the Colossians.